and welcome to DealCast. This is the quarantine edition of Merger Markets Podcast. Today, everybody is calling in from home. So joining us on the call are Mentoy Casafloria, our healthcare editor at Merger Markets, as well as Davide Salvi, our healthcare reporter. And we also have William Kane, our senior analyst and the author of Deal Reporter's regular Flash feature. I want to start by asking Davide about the healthcare sector and how business is doing, because you would think that the healthcare sector would be the one part of the economy that would be that would see opportunity in this uh, in, in this crisis. Uh, and yet, I know it is not all smooth sailing, yeah, even here. So, Davide, if you can talk first just about the uh, the troubles that the healthcare sector is seeing and both uh, how business is doing and maybe some of the less resilient parts of the sector as well as what parts of uh, healthcare sector M&A uh, are maybe showing some uh, signs of weakness. Yeah, absolutely, Dean. Thank you very much for having me here. So uh, most sales processes have now been halted or delayed, especially when it comes to private equity. We have reported last week, for instance, that Agit Capital has decided to delay its sale process for a Slovenian laser manufacturer called Fatona uh, until late this year, when things have hopefully returned to normal. Uh, we have also seen that many sponsors are waiting for valuations to recover before launching any uh, sale process. And according to our sources, uh, the companies that are suffering the most are those providing ancillary services to the healthcare sector, uh, given that most resources are now focused on combating COVID-19. So for instance, uh, within this ancillary services sector, uh, you would see that routine operations have been delayed until further notice, uh, and all companies providing these type of services uh, will definitely suffer a bit in light of COVID. Uh, What appears to be clear, however, is that there won't be many long-term losers in the sector because demand for those services will sooner or later rebound. Thank you, Davide. So I guess now we have all the bad news out of the way. We can look at the opportunities. And while several biotech companies are developing vaccines against COVID-19, and some are striking partnerships with larger players. So what is the road ahead for vaccines? And could we see certain biotech companies potentially become acquisition targets, Mentor? Yes, hi there. Well, we have actually looked at this. And when this the pandemic first broke out, and we wrote analysis piece actually on the development of vaccines. Now, interestingly, the first wave we saw is that the companies with existing pipelines were leveraging their drugs and development to be able to develop COVID-19 vaccines. What we have seen is Synogen, who, for example, used its existing drug in development for COPD to receive approval to put in a phase two clinical trial for patients with COVID-19. Similarly, a Japanese Fujiyama Toyama chemicals drug, Avigan, has been used in certain COVID-19 patients. And other biotechs such as CureVat, BioNTech, Moderna Therapeutics, these are all mRNA-based drugs that have seen a lot of potential in COVID-19 because it's quicker turnaround, 
quicker to manufacture, but of course, safety has to be, still be assessed. So we do see a lot of opportunity in the biotechs. There's also a lot of the big pharma that are teaming up with themselves, as well as the big pharma. So this would be Sanofi and Glaxo, for example, and also some of the big pharma such as Pfizer teaming up with a biotech such as BioNTech, German BioNTech. So this is the kind of landscape we are seeing. Effectively, though, of course, there is a protocol to be followed. It's not a quick win. The regulator will still demand those safety studies to be completed ahead of a vaccine coming to market. Now, Davide, apart from biotech, which segments within the healthcare sector can gain traction amid the COVID-19 crisis? Because I know you have covered telehealth and robotics, to name two subsectors, which yeah. I imagine are doing pretty well in this environment. Yeah, exactly, Dean. So the next big area of opportunity for investors appears to be digital healthcare. We have seen this trend growing over the past few years, but now demand for remote consultations has really boomed. Uh, just last week, for instance, I was talking to the CEO of a Danish telehealth company, and he was telling me how his fundraising plans have been significantly accelerated due to COVID-19. Uh, this is really a key sector, if you think about it, because on one hand, it can help reducing pressure on healthcare providers, and on the other, it allows to be it allows people to be monitored from home and go to hospitals only if they really need to. So, some telehealth companies have even launched dedicated services for users with mild symptoms of COVID nineteen, so that they can be treated more quickly uh, from home. Uh, the other big area uh, that you were mentioning is uh, robotics, especially robotics applied to healthcare, uh, many robotics companies are launching fundraisers now because demand for robots has really grown off the back of COVID-19. Uh, most of those companies were developing and manufacturing robots for uh, areas such as retail or agriculture, and now they are really readapting their pipeline to cater for this surge in demand from the healthcare sector. So uh, for investors, areas such as sanitizing robots in hospitals or even robots that can check people's temperatures outside of offices, airports, might be areas to invest. And those robots can really become the new normal once the worst of the pandemic is over. So if I could also add to that, on top of that, I think that really for vaccines and the services sector, it's really about investing in preparing for global pandemics. So for example, public health emergencies, there needs to be a storage of vaccines. So platform technologies that you can leverage to then create any antiviral agent, as well as robotics, any system that is going to help for any future pandemic, we have seen this as a major source of traction and interest for investors. Absolutely. This is one of the key areas exactly for investors um, and also the combination wherever robots can obviously um, help uh, people in, uh, in in areas where normally, uh, you know, you would need a human to operate, a robot can intervene and can definitely, uh, you know, reduce the pressure on the system. Now, now, Mintoy, you mentioned preparing for the next pandemic, but I want to talk about the time before, you know, when everybody knew to prepare for the next pandemic, which was Q1 of this year. And I want to talk about M&A trends and uh, what we have seen in the healthcare sector and whether there has been any uh, resilience compared to other sectors, because I covered the 
consumer sector mainly, and it has been not even a mixed bag. It has been uh, very, <laughs> this pandemic has been very bad for business and for M&A in the consumer sector. But uh, just looking at healthcare, obviously, how you shown any resilience at the start of this year? And um, uh, what can you say about general M&A trends? Uh, I guess we'll start with Davide. Yeah, absolutely. So healthcare has definitely shown resilience uh, in the start of the year. Uh, as we all know, healthcare is a very defensive sector. And indeed, with a global pandemic, healthcare stocks have generally outperformed uh, the market. When it comes to M&A, the sector has registered a slowdown in the first quarter. Uh, COVID-19 has weighed significantly on deal making. But again, the volume hasn't been uh, terribly low. Uh, one of the most significant large cap deals this year has been Thermo Fisher's acquisition uh, of Kyogen for $11.5 billion. And more deals appear to be in the pipeline uh, in areas like consumer healthcare, for instance, where companies don't usually need to invest heavily uh, in research and development. Uh, and they can also benefit from aggressive marketing and publicity campaigns. Um, we have more deals coming up in the pipeline. One of them uh, could be uh, Sanofi, for instance, which announced its intention to separate its consumer healthcare uh, unit. And obviously, whatever decision Sanofi takes, we reported it's an ideal IPO candidate, but it could be even up for sale. Uh, the deal is likely to be one of the largest in uh, EMEA in 2020. So in a nutshell, Yes, COVID has impacted healthcare, but it hasn't been as bad as other sectors, and more deals are likely to take place in the coming months. Now, obviously, we do not look just at M&A, but we, we also focus on ECM, and I know that uh, Mintoy, you and Davide uh, as well, work together on a piece on ECM in the healthcare sector. And I'm wondering, Mintoy, if you can just sum up uh, how the pandemic has affected public listings of healthcare companies and what this environment portends for ECM in the sector. Well, I think like many other sectors, there has been a slowdown even on ECM. However, what we uh, wrote in that article, people talking to us said that there are certain deals that are going on. Um, so there are preparations for IPOs. There are companies who are still working with a view to IPO either later this year. So it seems that there is something happening in the background. We don't know exactly which companies, obviously, but there is definitely activity. I think the healthcare sector does remain resilient, but possibly efforts now are concentrated elsewhere because across the board, the, the stocks have not been performing as usual, clearly, but there is much hope to be had towards the end of the year. And as we were told, companies are working on IPOs. They're just waiting for the right moment. I would also like to add that, of course, Sanofi had uh, announced its intention to separate both its API, active pharmaceutical ingredients business, and its consumer healthcare unit. So the latter was expected to be finalized this year, as Davide mentioned. On top of that, we do have other major deals. Pfizer said it's going to list or spin off its consumer healthcare joint venture with GSK by 2022. So decisions will need to be taken ahead of that for the separation of the unit. So there is a lot of work to be done for the ECM pipeline in these big pharma and healthcare situations. Now, 
you mentioned, Davide, the, the biggest deal of the year so far in the, the healthcare sector, Thermo Fisher's acquisition of Kyogen. And uh, both companies are very active in fighting COVID-19. And both companies uh, are on the front lines of developing test kits for the disease. Now, the deal is obviously pending regulatory clearances. And uh, I just want to turn this over to Will, as I mentioned, our Flash author, to discuss this deal to wait for uh, regulatory clearances and all the other approvals needed to get this to the finish line. So, Will, what do you make of this deal? And uh, where are we in the in the timeline for this? Yeah, I think um, clearly there has been a lot of interest in this Thermo Fisher acquisition of of Kiergen. It is really, I suppose, the most um, sizable healthcare deal year to date. And from a general interest perspective, it also has, you know. Uh, particular relevance because both companies are involved in the production of the coronavirus uh, test kits, which um, have been generally acknowledged to be essential to, to returning economies to normal when lockdowns are beginning to be scaled back. So they're a key part of this uh, of monitoring the, the uh, coronavirus crisis, and they're also a key part of helping countries get back to normal economic activity. I suppose from a deal perspective, I mean, we've uh, already looked in great detail in the deal report of Flash commentary, which Mintoy wrote uh, last week on some of the key overlaps in, in the two companies' portfolios, particularly around um, testing kits, molecular diagnostics and uh, magnetic bead technology, which will be reviewed in detail by regulatory authorities. Another kind of interesting component of the, of the transaction is the turnaround in fortunes, really, of, uh, of the two companies since the deal was announced. Uh, Kijen, uh had a very substantial profit warning in the second half of uh, 2019. It triggered an opportunistic bid from a number of uh, reported parties, one of which was uh, reported to be Thermo Fisher. Thermo Fisher then returned with another bid uh, in January after failing to agree terms uh, at the back end of the year. Since then, the performance of two companies, very interestingly, has completely turned around. So Kijun, which was struggling in the second half of uh, 2019, is now actually performing very strongly because of its exposure and because of um, the size of its coronavirus uh, testing business. So its sales are actually up 9% um, in the first quarter on uh, at uh, constant exchange rates. Thermo Fisher, only between 1% and 2%. So there's been a, a, an inflection, really, in, 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 in the trajectory of the two companies, particularly the turnaround and improvement at Kijan, which possibly... Um, will make shareholders in Kijin just a little reluctant to um, to uh, tender their shares in to this uh, Thermo Fisher offer. Mintoy, I know that you wrote a, an excellent scoop on uh, the European Commission being unlikely to expedite its review of the deal. So potential overlaps have come to the fore in this situation. I'm wondering if you can discuss in some detail uh, what the potential overlaps are and how they could affect the, the fate of this deal. 
Yes, in terms of the regulatory fast-track approval, we worked with, a, David especially worked with a, our Brussels office to really understand the timelines. I looked at the overlaps, and previously we reported um, last month that uh, um, the main uh, areas of overlaps were in various forensics applications that both companies had, such as DNA analysis and sample collection and preparation kits. That gets into a little bit of depth. However, also at another closer look, it's quite interesting that um, in a conference call, uh, Thermo Fisher CFO said that they're expecting to close the deal 1H21, which is quite ambitious given what's happening now. So the confidence in clearing the deal suggests that the two companies maybe don't think they have such major overlaps. What is interesting, though, is that if you look at precedent and Illumina's bid for Pacific Biosciences, the US FTC held in that instance that the company's whole genome sequencing market would be a competitive threat when they merge together, especially to younger companies such as the UK-based Oxford Nanopore. So interestingly, both Kyogen and Thermo Fisher have a strong offering in gene sequencing. They have advanced genomic services and also nucleic acid sequencing and isolation. This is uh, Kyogen itself. So it's just going to be really interesting whether the regulator will draw from the previous deal or whether these gene sequencing technologies are different and how they will assess that. The other thing that we saw actually uh, was the uh, magnetic beads technologies that both companies have in various segments. Again, this gets a little bit specific, but for example, in forensics and microbiome isolation, they both have this uh, technology. And also Kaijin has um, magnetic beads technology in DNA extraction equipment. So whether that, again, is going to be assessed by the regulators and overlap is yet to be seen. We've just highlighted what could look like a potential overlap. So these are the main areas of, of overlap, but there are, of course, others which the regulator may look into. Well, I hope that there are not too many regulatory obstacles because as financial journalists, I suppose, especially in this time, all deal activity is good deal activity. And with that, I would like to thank you all for, uh, for joining us on this call. I'd like to thank you for listening and hope that you're staying home and saving lives. And we hope to have you tune in next time. Thank you and stay safe.